0: Great guests coming up in this broadcast. Great regulars as well. Before we do that, let's tell you about one of our fantastic new marketing partners in 2019. You've heard of these anonymous gifts for your enemies. But what about for your friends and enemies? CustomGiftWrapping.com has what you need 100% anonymous with unlimited customization of what you want. What your gift? Welded. in a steel... Yep. Do you want it welded? Do you want it welded? Hello. There's Jamie. How are you, my friend? It's James Lowe calling you for your radio interview. How are you? Hi, James. Doing fantastic. How are you? I am uh, glad to have you on today, I will have to say. We are going to see if we can get Don Mazzella, our co-host, and... uh, Bring him in here to the conversation and uh, get things going this week here on our big program. And uh, if you want to get a hold of us online, check out JiggyJaguar.com. Also, uh, find us on iHeartRadio as well. And Don, can you hear me, my friend? Can you hear me? Yes, I've got you loud and clear. And uh, we've got a great guest today. Jamie, go ahead and uh, give us a little bit of an introduction on yourself, my friend.
1: Okay, I just want to double-check something. Are we already yes. on the
0: air? Uh, Yeah, we had an interview scheduled for this time, so we're live. No, I,
1: I hear you, I hear you. you he <laughs> just didn't know we were jumping right into it immediately. Yep, okay, yep. So this yeah. we're is here, on. my friend. Well, I'm the editor of FrontPageMag.com, which is David Horowitz's journal. Yes. And we fight yes. the war at home and abroad, and uh, he's a former member of the left who has left the left and is exposing the left for... Uh, the hateful agenda that it is is a movement, and I'm fighting right alongside with him. And recently I've come out with a book called Jihadist Psychopath, which shows how what Islam and jihad is doing to the West today is exactly the same thing that psychopaths do to their victims in terms of their tactics.
0: Wow. That is a uh, heck of a deal. Don, what do you think about this? well I, I didn't think
2: that uh, uh, the, you, you're repeating yourself when you say jihad and psychopaths <laughs> but uh, okay uh, no uh, all all kidding aside um, uh well, we shouldn't uh, put kidding aside because we need more humor in the world today but as uh, um, I, uh can you go into more detail? Uh, I, uh, I think you've got a great topic, and I, uh, I couldn't agree with you more. But what do you mean by that? Uh, you know, the psychopaths come in all shapes and sizes. But what, do, what do you mean by that?
1: Well, to begin with, they might come in all shapes and sizes, but there are certain characteristics of a psychopath. And so for years I studied psychopathy and psychopaths. And so as I studied the step-by-step process by which a psychopath captures his victims, there's a certain paradigm, there's a structure, there's a system by which the psychopath operates, there's a stage of charming, there's a stage of seduction. And then once the psychopath has his hooks into you, then there's, there's, others, there's other tactics that are used to keep the person enslaved. Now, as I was studying what jihad is doing to us, what stealth jihad is doing to us, how this Islamization process is happening in the West, I began to see that it's exactly the same step by step. So let me give you just one example of what psychopathy is and how psychopaths operate. Now, there's a charming uh, process. Now, so for instance, we know that the psychopaths learn their greatest lessons from the serpent. And I talk about this in my book in terms of how Lucifer, Satan, the serpent in the Garden of Eden, made Eve think that he was operating in her interests. Okay, so that was the charming stage, and we can talk about that later, and I discuss it in my book. But let me go a little bit down the line here, just a very obvious one, okay? Psychopaths are very, very professional in punching you in the face, and then within 60 seconds they're pouting and and sulking, and the victim is apologizing, okay? Yeah. So. I document this in my book. Look at what is happening in the West today. There is a jihadist attack. Within 30 seconds, we have Anderson Cooper, Don Lemon, and Rachel Maddow reporting on how the Muslim community is very worried about the backlash, quote-unquote. And before you know it, we are apologizing to the Muslim community for our Islamophobia. This is happening right before our eyes. And it is a very shrewd game that our enemy is is playing, and we're falling right into the trap. In other words, as the victims, we are apologizing to our perpetrator. And this is one of the tactics that a psychopath uses. So I'm just using one example there.
2: Oh, that's, a, that's an excellent example. And you're right. But, but it seems to me that uh, people like Anderson Cooper are not jihadists, uh, jihadists but rather people... apologize for them Um, uh, uh, can you kind of uh, uh, put it together and and show us how um, the the, uh, jihadists I always get that wrong um, uh, you know how do they have gotten these people to believe in them like they have
1: just a sec can you specify exactly what you're asking me
2: oh okay. I'll try it again um uh, it's not been a good day for me, but uh, uh, basically uh, we have people like Anderson Cooper apologizing. But how did the G- uh, the G- uh,
1: the Anderson cameras- Cooper is not apologizing.
2: No, uh, no, he's saying uh, he's worried. Uh, if I heard you correctly, he's worried how the the uh, Muslim uh-huh. community is, uh, is, is going to be a oh, I
1: see Okay, right, right. okay, I, I'll break down why I said that in a second, but go ahead.
2: Um, and I, uh, I think you're right, but to me the question is, how do people like Anderson Cooper come around to the idea that we have to apologize rather than to uh, um, identify terrorists for what they are, people who killed <laughs> the innocent people?
1: I see, I see. Okay, so why I said what I just said initially in terms of somebody like Anderson Cooper, here's the key. The left is in league with the jihadist psychopath. Okay, so I I document this in my book. What's happening here is that there's an unholy alliance waging a war on Western civilization, and David Horowitz has documented this in his book, Unholy Alliance. I've documented it in United in Hate. We know very well that the left in our society is on the side of Islamic supremacism. So the Anderson Coopers, the Don Lemons, the Rachel Maddows, on the one hand... They're they're carrying water for our enemy. They're doing their job. Deep down, they know what they're doing. So there's two layers here. There's the malicious left that's in league with our enemies and doing their work for them. And then, of course, as we know, there's many brain-dead liberals that just fall into their trap, and I call that the jihadist psychopaths plantation that we're trapped on. Now, just to simplify this in a, in a, in a more general way for our audience and for all of us, the key here, my friends, is that the left in general is waging war on its own society. A lot of people wonder, well, why isn't Joy Behar and Whoopi Goldberg and Chelsea Handler and Kathy Griffin, you know, these are feminists. How come they're not saying anything on behalf of the women suffering under Islamic gender apartheid? It makes total sense because they don't care about women, really. You see, the left is at war with our society. It wants to destroy our Culture, the Western civilization, the Judeo Christian tradition. So, therefore, it is in league with adversary cultures and with our enemies. It's in league with jihad, it's in league with Sharia. And so, as you very importantly just ask, how does this happen? Well, it's because the left wants to build its classless socialist paradise on the ashes of the America that it wants to destroy. So, it's against its interest to do anything in terms of um, being truthful about the enemy that's actually attacking us. You see, because once leftists admit, let's say leftists admit that Islamic Jihad is really founded on the teachings of Islam. Let's say it admits that honor killing is awful, that Asya Bibi should not be in prison in Pakistan today. Let's say leftists start to admit all of those things. Once they do that, they would have to admit that our society is better and superior and that it is worth defending and protecting. Leftists can't make that step because their whole goal is to destroy this society. And so it makes complete sense why they make apologies and excuses for the viciousness of our enemies.
2: You know, you bring up an interesting point. um, To me, I look at it, why are these people so disaffected? They've grown up in perhaps the greatest country the world has ever seen. They, uh, they're they're free to act based on the laws that uh, the, that these men created, these white men, most of whom were Christians. Um, why have they, in your opinion, uh, gotten so angry that they want to destroy it?
1: Well, this is the question of our time, and it's it's the crucial question. And it's a question that I've battled with my whole life and that I've tried to understand and unveil is that malice and that hatred in the heart of the left. And for me, it's very personal because I was a little boy when my parents escaped the Soviet Union. My parents lived in a true evil empire and they put their lives on the line standing up against the Soviet regime and that evil empire. And so when we escaped, and that's another whole story, and I ended up in the United States as a little kid and I fell in love with this country and I love America, and I love the prosperity and the freedom and the liberty and everything that comes with this precious sacred experiment here. And so as I grew older, the people that you're describing and that I'm studying, I began to see that there's this species of people called leftists, and they were telling my parents that my that they were fascists and they were racists and they should be quiet and shut up and don't say anything bad about communism and that they need to focus on the hell that they've come to. So the leftists, were excusing and apologizing the regime that killed millions of my people and tortured my family. And they were telling me that I should hate the country that I now live in, which I love. And so it's very personal for me because I began to study these people and their psychology. And so, look, in general, leftists have a severe disorder on the one hand that we can put quote-unquote, but in some ways it's very natural in terms of human nature. And I have a chapter in my book called the utopian virus. And what's happened here, gentlemen, is the belief in socialism and Marxism and all the hatred that it spawns. It's really rooted in the first lie. And the first lie is when Satan whispered to Eve that you can be God. And you see, it, it, it all comes from there. There's a tremendous, It's been ingrained into the DNA of humans. There's, there's a certain instinct. It's, it's the utopian virus that human, many humans believe and want to become their own gods. They, they think that they can create paradise here on Earth. They think that they can create perfection, that they can create a perfect society and perfect people. But we know that that's impossible because the wise people who are courageous and are able to see life for what it is, they know that perfection only comes from God. They know that it's only through Jesus Christ for those of us Christians that understand that. And so there's a tremendous hatred that is nurtured in leftists' hearts because they actually hate society. They hate humans for who and what they are because they, act, they ultimately have a problem with human nature and with themselves.
2: That's, that's an interesting uh, take on it. I don't know if I necessarily f- fully agree with you, because, you know, I, I, look, at pe- uh, I look at how people talk. Uh, just for instance, two senators actually uh, last week uh, demanded that a, a, a ju- judge candidate renounce his membership in the Knights of Columbus. I, you know, I, I sat there and uh, stunned disbelief. And uh, uh, But on Jiggy's program last week, someone said, well, if that's bad, what about the uh, uh, disliking the song, uh, Maybe It's Cold Outside? <laughs> um, um, you know, it's ironic that you came on this program because I had a lunch today with one of the country's great theologians um, who uh, was a member of my club. And we were talking about all of these issues, and uh, um, and you know when I look at the left and I uh, and I have to because I'm a reporter, I, and when I, you listen to them, you sit there and say, uh, are we uh, are both living in the same country? You, you know, uh, I, I, I'm really asking you. You gave a pretty good explanation that doesn't. Uh, Fully explain how how the, this hatred they have for all of the institutions that made this country great.
1: What do you want? To, what do you say to that? Okay, just a sec. Before I answer, I don't really see a disagreement between us. What in general did you feel that you were in disagreement with with what I said?
2: I'm not. I'm not in disagreement with you. And I'm trying to learn. I love oh. this program because uh, it brings in people. Uh, oh. Oh. Uh, but I don't. Okay, no, no, no. Just right, wait. Right. It's
1: okay to disagree. I was just wondering what you disagree
2: oh, with. Oh no, uh, you're a guest. You don't disagree. You have a discussion. But what I'm really oh. trying to get at, you, you've really looked at this at a far deeper level th- than I have, and okay. you've given a an explanation that's very good and very deep. But it doesn't, to my mind, it's not as complete completed explanation as to why these people sit there um, and, and uh, say these things about this country and do things in this country that uh, don't make sense given uh, the, the great uh, the creation we've made of this country
1: right right and so I mean to 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 um, to to unveil and unmask this leftist hatred, of course, has to be done in more than five minutes. Um, it's why I've written a, uh, a book on it, which which further explains. So I'll, I'll do a round two, and I'm grateful that we have the time to at least go into round two here. So... It, you are completely right that at first glance it doesn't make any sense. Because how does it make sense that the people who live in the most prosperous, freest society in the world, that by the way, all immigrants, for instance, uh, from from totalitarian environments, we worship this country and we love this country because we see what a, what a beautiful, uh, you know, cherishable, wonderful, successful experiment it is. And it's an honor to live here. And yet you have these people who are so... You know, they get to have access to the freedom and material well-being and everything, and yet they hate the country. And so as you're saying, well, what, what causes this psychology? It doesn't seem to make sense. And so to tie in with what I started with, and so what I'm saying is that, you see, because of the hatred of human nature and because of the hatred for humans for who and what they are, the next stage is what they hate is this. That You see, in the United States, it allows so much prosperity and individualism that there's so much success, for instance, so much prosperity. And on one level, what begins to happen is many people become wealthy and many people become successful. But for the leftist who hates individuality, the leftist can't stand if there's a million successful people, but there might be a few people that aren't on the same level. See, a leftist would rather have everybody living in in what's happened in Venezuela, for instance. A leftist would rather have complete sameness and equality of misery than to see the prosperity of an individual and to see the success of individualism. They hate the idea of individuality. And also they themselves want, and and, and whenever there's that talent, whenever there's individualism, whenever there's freedom, by necessity there's going to be forms of inequality in terms of the final outcome. Because one painter is going to create great paintings, and it's going to be better than other paintings. There's going to be beautiful singers that are better than other singers. You see, the leftist, deep in his core, hates that. They want full sameness and equality and they want to install that. And so in and so in that experiment of what they try to do, you get what happened under Stalinism, under Maoism, you get what happened in North Korea, in Vietnam, Castro's Cuba, Sandinista, Nicaragua. It's always the same result. Whenever you have that socialist experiment to build heaven on earth, they create hell. So overall they're trying to create, quote-unquote, this equality that they have in their head. And as we know, it's impossible to build. And we also know that they're tremendous hypocrites because in the end, they always build their own little high-class echelon that they want to live in.
2: Well, you know, you, you, you're, you're right. And again, I keep uh, um, I, I keep coming back to this, and uh, pardon me for doing it, only because, um, uh, um, to me, the real question is why, uh, what have we done that forces um, these um, uh, people to, to want to destroy uh, this, which is so good?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, absolutely. And this is the thing about the left, that inside, in the end, it's a malice and it's a destructive hatred of humans and of human nature for what it really is. Because they're trying to erase human nature. They're trying to erase differences. They're trying to erase talent. They're trying to erase what is unequal and different between people. And that's, for instance, why they had a flirtation with Maoism, because of the same-sex Maoist uniforms. Remember? That's why they have have an attraction to the burqa and to the the forced veiling in the Islamic world. They're very attracted to that because those totalitarian environments are forcing sameness on everyone and erasing individualism.
2: Mm -hmm. I couldn't agree with you more. You know, you know, anybody that doesn't like this country just has to go to another country and realize how good it is.
1: Absolutely, but you see, when it comes to the left, they're so tormented that in the in the end, my friend, it's a death wish, and that's why you're asking these pertinent questions. And sometimes it's difficult to just answer within a few minutes because the left, in itself, it's such. Um, a movement and impulse of hatred that, as you say, it doesn't make sense at first. Why wouldn't you adore and be happy with living in the United States and supporting the United States? Like even right now, what could possibly be in your mind to try to oppose a president from building a wall that's going to keep out ISIS terrorists and criminals and et cetera. Why wouldn't you be on the side of a wall? Why would you want more crime and more terror in our country? On the one hand, doesn't make any sense. But again, I reiterate, once you understand what the left is, Once you understand its main impulses, it all begins to make sense because they hate the United States of America. They hate Israel. They hate anything to do with the Judeo-Christian tradition, which values individualism, individual achievement, and prosperity where people can use their own talents to get ahead. The left hates all of that stuff. They want to dumb down humans, and they want to create a flat, flat screen. That's the best way to explain it in terms of the beginning of what leftists want. And look, there's a tremendous death wish in them because ultimately they really hate themselves. You know, I've given my life to study... How does it make sense? For instance, I gave a lot of my life to studying what happens to Cuban dissidents in in Cuba, and my heart is with them every day. Armando Valaderras wrote that incredible memoir called Against All Hope. It's a, it's a it's another um, it's 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 a Gulag Archipelago by Alexander Solzhenitsyn, but it's the Cuban variety. And you know, I grew up in academia. When I was in academia, all these professors and graduate students love Castro. And I remember thinking, why do you love a regime and a dictator who will kill you within 30 seconds when you go there and if you criticize him? But it makes sense because, again, and, you know, there's a long history of this. The fellow travelers who traveled to Stalinist Russia, Maoist China, Castro's Cuba, you know, I've documented a lot of this. A lot of them went there to worship those totalitarian Tyrannies, but they died there; they were extinguished there. And in the end, my friends, this is a—it's very much a self-destructive journey. There's a death wish inside of the left, because you, in in general, the world that they're trying to build, it ultimately turns on itself.
2: Well, you know, uh, have you ever read *A Darkness at Noon*?
1: Oh, yes, absolutely, by Kostler, Absolutely.
2: No. Okay, well, you're one of the few that, uh, uh, that's done it uh, now because uh, uh, it, you know, at one time it, it was a bestseller, but now it's almost never read anyplace.
1: And Absolutely, it was, and it should and be it, being read. Look, gentlemen, the, the thing is, is what I cover in my book, the tragedy that we're facing right now, and especially with this war on our president, and my book documents and explains why Donald Trump is a providential godsend to us right now. He's giving us a brief reprieve, and I hope it'll be a longer reprieve. But I'll just give one quick example of what we're up against. During the Obama administration, there was an individual called Phil Haney, and he was an officer in the Department of Homeland Security. And Phil Haney had an investigation going into the Islamists moving in and out of this country and all of their networks. Now, the Obama administration didn't like Phil Haney. They didn't like his investigation. They thought it was politically incorrect and you shouldn't be, you know, profiling Muslims and the Islamic religion. And the Obama administration came in and shut that investigation down. Now, after that, there was the San Bernardino Massacre, okay, Uh, uh, Saeed Farouk and Tafshin Malik, and they killed people in San Bernardino in their jihadist attack there. It turns out that their networks were being investigated by Phil Haney. In other words, if the Obama administration had not shut down that investigation, San Bernardino wouldn't have happened. What's the conclusion? Obama and his administration has blood on its hands. These leftists, in terms of what they're doing, they're causing the murder of Americans. Now, the same thing can be said, and my book documents this, about Orlando, about the Boston Marathon massacre, about the Fort Hood massacre. All of these massacres, these jihadist massacres of American citizens, could have easily been prevented if the right policies had been implemented. And what are the right policies? Number one is to make a proper threat assessment. Sun Tzu taught us that you have to label the enemy. Know your enemy. Under Obama, we were not even allowed to say the words Islam, Jihad, Radical Islam, what have you. That caused the death of Americans. Thank God Donald Trump is now in office, because as you well know and see, he began to say those words... He began to make a threat assessment, and he has wonderful people, for instance, like John Bolton in his company, National Security Advisor. And so thank God for Donald Trump, because he's bringing in the possibility that we can start protecting ourselves and our civilization from our enemies.
0: you, You won't get an argument from me. (laughs) No, 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 no. We have got a uh, great guest with us today, Jamie Glazoff. He is a jihadist psychopath. It's a fantastic read. Um, how he is charming, seducing, and devouring us. This is a a fantastic, fantastic book. Now, uh, talking a a little bit about your book here, Jamie, um, you talk about all sorts of different things in here. Um, Talk to us about how we can change this counter-jihad paradigm, uh, break the West out of this suicide-death spiral, my friend
1: well absolutely um, look i will even start with this in terms of what you know trump is doing and and what reveals what really the left is all about and why we're in this death spiral okay so we've got isis operating for many years killing people waging terror and also establishing its its power and taking over certain cities like in mosul etc and this is tragic because apart from many things, they've even, you know, enslaved women and girls and raping them and keeping them as sex captives and and sex slaves. You would think that we would be on the side of those victims. You would think that we would want to beat ISIS. So ISIS is not being dealt with the whole time Obama's in office. Trump gets in and makes a few decisions, but one really quick one. He gives the military the authority. On the ground, they don't have to keep checking with their superiors, and their superiors don't have to keep checking with the president, etc., etc. Trump just says, "Do what you got to do." Guess what? Within six to eight months, ISIS lost almost all of its territory, and I could go on about that. But ISIS has been crushed on many realms. Thank God for Donald Trump. There's just one example. When you get rid of leftist thinking, in terms of the military battle on the ground, what Trump did was essential, and it shows how we can win. And it also shows what's in the heart of the left, because if, if Trump could do that in six months, and Obama didn't do that in eight years or six years, whatever you want to speak about technically what happened during that period, do you think that's because he's naive? Do you think that's because he doesn't know better? Give me a break. The President of the United States knows what had to be done. That was deliberate because it's malice because the left is always on the side of our enemies. So anyway, there's an example. But look, we have to, make, we have to do a couple things to get out of this death spiral we're in, and we're in it. So look, this is very serious. Even just symbolically, let me just say this off the top of my head. Twitter, social media, but it represents what's going on in our culture, in our civilization. Laura Loomer counter-jihadist who tells the truth about Islam, about Jew hatred, about anti-Semitism, has been banned from Twitter. Tommy Robinson, a hero in, in, in the United Kingdom that's trying to fight on behalf of the victims of Muslim rape gangs, he's banned off Twitter. But guess who's not banned off Twitter? Hezbollah and Hamas. Robert Spencer and Pamela Geller are not allowed into the United Kingdom. They've been banned from the United Kingdom because they oppose jihad. But guess who's allowed to the United kingdom? Jihadists. So I could go on and on here, and my book documents this. We are losing the battle against Islam, jihad, and Islamic supremacism. One of the things we have to do immediately is, as I noted earlier, in order to defeat an enemy, you have to name the enemy. If the Iranian mullahs are screaming death to the great Satan and death to the United States every day, if they've proclaimed a war against us, why did we have a president sending them billions of dollars in cash? Why did we have a president that wouldn't name Islamic supremacism as is, is, is our enemy in this terror war so I would begin with this there has to be a threat assessment it was not done under the Obama administration it has to be done under the Trump administration and thank God that that process is starting
2: Mm. (laughs) you really (laughs) you you really bring a lot to the table Uh, yes he does the name of your book again and how people can get it
1: uh, my my book is called Jihadist Psychopath, and you can go to my site jamieglasov dot com. You can also go to frontpagemag.com dot com, and I'm the editor of that magazine. And David Horowitz is the chief editor there. And um, go I to have Amazon to ask of you a question. You
2: when I was a copy boy at NBC News, there was a David Horowitz. Then, um, how old is David? Um, <laughs>
1: Well, I don't reveal people's exact age, but uh, you know, David, I would say is uh, is in his uh, in his seventies, and and David is the
2: ask him if um, he remembers me, Don Masella. I was the copy okay. boy. We We did okay, a, a, lot of, a lot of things together,
1: and David is the is the author of uh, his memoir, Radical Son which has changed many people's lives, and I very much encourage everyone to read it. It's an it's a form of Whitaker Chambers's witness. David, in that memoir, explains and tells the story of how he left the left and why he left the left. And it answers all the questions that you asked today on this show is ultimately what explains that malice and hatred in the heart of the left.
2: I, gotta, I have to get it, because... I, you know, I, um, um, I, I just don't understand how uh, anybody that's in this country could even possibly
1: feel um, anything but love for it. Well, absolutely. And look, you know, the, you know I have a TV show called The Glazov Gang, and the producer of my show, Annie Cyrus, is a former child bride from Iran. She escaped Iran, and she loves this country. She escaped Sharia law. I escaped communism through my parents. I was a kid, but we were able to escape. So you've got, a, a, you've got an immigrant from the communist world. You've got an immigrant from the Sharia world. And we love this country. And to, the left is trying to destroy this country and trying to build the Soviet Union and a form of Sharia here. So we know who our enemies are. And we have to be very clear on that that these are people that, that hate us, they hate our way of life and they're trying to destroy this country. And we need to be very aware because uh if they're if they're at work twenty four seven on destroying it, we have to be at work twenty four seven on defending it. Ooh.
0: Couldn't agree with you more. Yes. Could not agree. Now, uh, this this book, Incredibly Well Written, you've put a lot of research and everything into this book. Talk to us about the writing process, because uh, Don, when he put his book together, he went through a, a heck of a process to bring it to start to finish. Talk to us about your process, my friend.
1: Well, absolutely. I mean, you know, a lot of hard work went into this. Um, to begin with, of course, there was the side of, you know, my book has just been named by Amazon as the number one new release in medical illness, uh, excuse me, in mental illness in the medical um, field. And so I did a lot of work on studying psychopathy and studying psychopaths. So a lot of research went into the non-jihadist side of this, just basically narrowing in on psychopaths, how they operate, why they do what they do. And then, of course, um, I've dedicated my life to studying jihad. So, you know, I study a lot of Islamic literature, the Hadith, the Quran, everything that... Um, that devout Muslims believe in and what their texts are. So this is the key, too, to answer an earlier question. And Stephen Coughlin, by the way, in his book, Catastrophic Failure, made this very important point, that when we make a threat assessment... It doesn't matter whether our enemy is correct or not in what he believes in. It's what he believes in. So in other words, when a jihadist says, Surah 929 and Surah 95 in the Quran have inspired me and sanctioned me and mandated me to kill unbelievers, because Surah 95 says kill all believers wherever you find them. So if a jihadist is killing us because he read that in the Quran. A lot of people come right away and say, oh no, that's taken out of context, Islam is a religion of peace, etc., etc. The key for us to understand here is it doesn't matter whether the jihadist is taking that out of context or not. We have to make a threat assessment in terms of what he believes We have to be honest about what our enemy believes and why he operates the way he does. Forget about whether he's right or wrong. We have to begin with why he's doing what he's doing in order to understand him. So I studied, you know, a lot of Islamic theology, and then i just putting it all together. And, of course... uh, you know, and reading all the experts in the field, you know, the Robert Spencer's and, you know, the Pamela Gellers and the Bill Warner's and there's so many, you know, great writers out there and so many scholars, whether it's Bridget Gabriel or Nani Darwin, all these incredible works. And you know, I just synthesized a lot of this scholarship together. But most importantly I weaved together the psychological mindset of the psychopath and the psychological mindset of the jihadist, and I weave them together to show that it's very much the same thing. Mm.
2: Mm. Uh, it's, it's really interesting. Uh, uh, I always well, how do you explain the young, um, the, the young kids that are jihadists, and how you get them to commit suicide?
1: Well, this is really, really a tragic thing, of course, because, you know, these totalitarian movements always exploit the innocent and the young the most. And that's very tragic. And you know, uh, Anna Geifman, a great scholar in Israel, has documented all this in a book called Death Orders. And for instance, she showed how this happened under the Soviet regime, how it happened with the Nazis. Uh, In terms of what they did with the young people and bringing them into uh, into their ranks, and we know that Hamas does this with its young kids, right? How it uses them as human shields and turns them into suicide bombers. So this is very, very tragic. And overall, of course, the indoctrination begins when you're very young. And in terms of the Islamic psychopaths and the jihadist psychopaths, how they work is, of course, they do uh, what comes very natural to them because they worship death. And so they get these young kids, tragically enough, into these madrasas, into these indoctrination um, centers, and they indoctrinate them and brainwash them and teach them that they will get a paradise in heaven if they end their life quickly on earth. And, you know, that's one aspect of jihad that we're very well familiar with, and it's terrifying. And these suicide bombers and these jihadists, you know, They hate this life. This is the key. They've been taught that the life on earth is to be hated and despised. They're not allowed any pleasure. They're not allowed to do anything in terms of, for instance, what we in the West know to enjoy our lives in many, many ways. You know, Muhammad Atta, even one of the 9-11 hijackers, if you read about his life... They say that he even hated food. He hated to eat. He would just squeeze a potato with his hands and just shove it into his mouth because they don't enjoy life on earth. They're waiting for the paradise aft in the afterlife. So it's they're taught this, and then they're taught that the the quickest way you can get to paradise is by blowing yourself up around other uh, kafirs and infidels, which is the unbelievers. So, you know, they have a, it's morbid, but unfortunately and tragically they have a great advantage in that area because it's terrifying for us who love life and worship and, and cherish, you know, every individual and every human life to be up against such a death cult. You know,
2: Jiggy, I've got to say, is another IQ.
0: Yes, uh, I would love to get you and Iq Al Rizzoli together. Uh, Iq is one of our uh, one of our correspondents who, over the years, has studied the Quran back, front, sideways. knows more, I think, about their religion than they know about their religion. Uh, <laughs> this is uh, definitely a uh, fantastic guest. Now, um, w- with this book, what do you want readers to take away from your writing, my friend?
1: Well, that's a great question. Look, I want to do many things. Now, one thing just that comes to mind is to educate, to give people the knowledge, and to also give them the courage. We have to to nurture a courage in all of us, um, especially against the propaganda of the jihadist psychopath. So I'll give a quick example. When I document the psychopath and all of us, in what, to one extent or another, have been inside the web of a psychopath. Some people have a relationship with one. Some of them at our work. Some of us have run into them at the grocery store. But we've run into them. Believe me. When you read my book, you'll see that. Oh, that was this person. That was this person. So one of the things they do when they have a relationship with you or they're close you, they make groundless accusations. They accuse you of things. And when you accuse a person of good conscience of things, the person of good conscience is usually on the defensive. And then what the psychopath does is he opens up the curtains and starts saying it in front of the whole world. And they imprison people in this way. Now, look what's happening in our culture. When there's a jihadist attack, even for instance with me and and, and my producer Annie Cyrus, we're working trying to protect Muslim girls from female genital mutilation. We're trying to protect Muslim girls from female genital mutilation. But guess what we're called? Muslim haters, Islamophobes, racists. Now, how does that make sense? How could it be that if we're fighting on behalf of Muslim women and girls that suffer under Islamic gender apartheid, how could it be that we hate Muslim people? But you see, the left is very clever in how it's done this. You guys see this happening every day. So the Robert Spencers, the Pamela Gellers, the Nani Darwishes, the Bridget Gabriels, the David Horowitzes, all these that are fighting for freedom and also fighting for Muslim peoples' freedom under Islam. They're called racists, Islamophobes, white supremacists, etc. That's the groundless accusation stage of the psychopath. And what I would love my readers to come away with is to say, you know what? We're not going to be afraid to be called names anymore. You know what? Yeah, I'm against female genital mutilation. That doesn't make me a white supremacist. Yes, I'm against honor killings. That doesn't make me a racist. I'm against Sharia law. I'm against seeing women as unequal to men. I'm against jihad. I want to defend America. I love the American Constitution. And not to be afraid to be called names. That's one of the first... We have to start is let's not be afraid at the names and the libel and the slanders that are going to be used against us, because as you know, gentlemen, our society is becoming so intimidated that many people are very, very quiet and are afraid to say the truth.
0: That's very true. That is very true. Well, in, in fact, so much that, uh, as we mentioned, IQ Al Rizzoli, he, uh, he always broadcasts and calls from an undisclosed location because uh, he has uh, way too many folks that do not agree with uh, his views on things uh, looking for him. So you are uh, completely correct on that, my friend.
1: Right. And look, and, and, and look at where we stand now. We have Asya Bibi that poor Pakistani Christian woman rotting in a Pakistani jail for eight years because she touched a cup in front of other Muslim women who saw her as dirty and she's not allowed to touch that cup because she's a Christian and they're they're Muslims and they're supremacists. You know, for all those leftists in the West that are so much for equality, how come they didn't stand up for her? But anyway, now she's in prison for eight years, accused of blasphemy and all those libels and of Muslims in the streets of Pakistan are chanting, and they want her blood. They want her to die. Just just as you said, uh, Al-Razuli, it has to be in hiding for several reasons. So we've got Islamic blasphemy laws. We're being threatened every day. You know, I deal with this stuff. All the counter-jihadists I know are dealing with this stuff. And guess where our former president stood? Did Barack Obama stand up and say, that this is the United States of America and the world should follow us in adoring and cherishing free speech and people should have the right to speak and, and, and people should not sit in prison because they're Christian in a Muslim country and they should not, you know, sit in prison for any reason in terms of because of their faith. No, what Barack Obama said, if you remember, in that famous speech, is that the future does not belong to those who slander the prophet of Islam. What did that mean? In other words, in saying that, Obama was supporting Islamic blasphemy laws, and Obama took the side of the people who have put Asiyah Bibi in her jail cell.
0: Heck of a deal. <laughs> <laughs> Don. Hey, <you laughs> know, no, no,
2: he's, um, you seldom, I guess, kept me as quiet as this as this current one, I, and I make that as a compliment. Because you, 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 what you're giving us is an awful lot of uh, knowledge that we didn't know before.
1: Well, thank you very much. It's uh, been a long road for me, and I, I love the United States with all of my heart. I love liberty, and I love having the the privilege of living in the United States. And I want to, you know, I've always dedicated my life, and I want to dedicate my life to protecting this society and its values and also to stand up for the people throughout the world that suffer under tyranny and are in prison. And it's shameless and it's shameful that these leftists among us do not stand up for them. I mean, look, when was the last time, as I said before, but, you know, put on MSNBC, Michael Maddow, Don Lemon, Anderson Cooper, when was the last time they had an hour program on honor killing victims? and invited the families of some honor-killing victims, and invited some Islamic scholars, scholars of Islam, and, and not the ones that are going to throw dust in your eyes, but people like Nani Darwish, Jid Gabriel, Robert Spencer, Pamela Geller, and ask them, what's going on? What is it in Islamic texts that's causing honor-killing? You know, and, and so it's a shame. It's a shame. That's just one example. And uh, they're on the side of the enemy, and, uh, and that's why we have to value shows, shows like yours, and that's why all of us have to be extra. now. We have to speak, we have to read, and we have to get the information out.
2: Well, let me ask you a question. Do you think, uh, given today, in today's world, um, that the book is the best way of doing it? Is there other ways of doing it that we should be considering you do a podcast? What else should we do?
1: Well, that's a great question in terms of what can we do, and, uh, and that's the first thing, actually, that has to be asked, because, guys, conservatives are awful failures in culture, fighting culture war, traditionally, anyway. The left is at war 24-7. And conservatives think that canceling their cable is culture war. There's a reason that the left controls the boundaries of discourse in our culture, because they listened to Alinsky, they listened to Antonio Gramsci, they understood the ways to capture power. And a lot of conservatives I know, they're the type of people that, you know, oh, well, you know, I'll shoot that jihadist if he comes to my front doorstep. They don't understand. Forget about shooting the jihadist if he comes to your front doorstep. You should be involved in a political and cultural activism that stops a jihadist from coming into the country in the first place. So we have to, number one, get involved, engage in the political process, in the cultural process. So what I would start with is first, is you would say, absolutely, there's the information, there's the reading, there's the podcast, there's the media. That's all fantastic. So if you're not gonna do it, then support other people that do it. And 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 join some organizations, whether it's the David Horowitz Freedom Center or the Counter She Coalition or you know, or my show, the Glasov Gang, or your show. But if you don't want, for instance, to write here here's a good example. A lot of conservatives think that the way you fight Hollywood is to not watch any Hollywood movies. I get that on the one hand, okay, you don't want to support, da-da-da-da, but you don't leave a football field and think you're going to win the game. Don't surrender terrain. Write a script yourself or create other avenues where movies can be shown or movies can be done. You see what I'm saying? That there has to be an engagement rather than a blindfolding.
2: Yeah. That, that's a really good, and uh, uh, to Jiggy's credit, he's had a couple of people on who have uh, created movies, right, Jiggy?
0: Yes, yes, indeed. They've 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 done a lot of documentaries on on this but, very same subject.
2: But you know, but you're 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 so right on that. You know, we have uh, some time. Uh, I don't, I think you could talk from now to the till the, the cows come home. But but but, can you summarize for us? The two or three things in your book that you you talk about and what we should do.
1: Well, absolutely. Um, well, first of all, what I'm showing most most importantly is the psychology of the jihadist psychopath. And the jihadist psychopath represents the Islamic supremacists and the leftists that have formed an alliance together and that now control our culture. They control our discourse. They control the boundaries of debate. And it's very, very scary because they're succeeding. And so what we have to do, and and I call it the, the jihadist psychopaths plantation, There's a certain plantation that we're all on, and as I said earlier, we should no longer be afraid to speak. We have to educate ourselves in terms of what Islam really is, and another thing, it doesn't mean we are against Muslim people and Muslims. You see, this is one of the tactics of the psychopath. He tries to say that if we have a problem with jihad, we somehow hate all Muslims. Or if we have a problem with certain teachings in Islam, we somehow hate all Muslims. This is the biggest BS that they try to spread, and we have to confront this. We love all people. What we have to do is educate ourselves and be truthful and make a threat assessment in terms of the ideology that's waging a war on us. That's the first step. Let us make a threat assessment. Let us be honest about the threat that we are facing. And then, as I said earlier, there's things that we can start doing about it. We can become active. You know, for instance, even on my Facebook and Twitter pages, I'll just give a very simple example of where conservatives just drive me crazy. Um, I'll put, Don Lemon just said this, and then I get these comments. Why are you even watching that? I never watch that. This is the sign of what's wrong with conservatives today. How are you going to defeat an enemy? How do you even know what you're up against if you don't even understand the psychology of what the enemy is doing and how he's thinking? I understand on the one hand that it's nauseating stuff. I get it. I'm not saying you have to watch Hollywood movies all day long that try to brainwash us with all their you know rotten agenda. I get that. But you do not blind yourself. You have to engage, understand what these people are saying, understand what CNN is, what MSNBC is. Call them on their lies. Expose their falsehoods and engage in the culture war. That's why we call it the culture war, because we're fighting for our culture. But tragically, the leftists are fighting it every day and a lot of conservatives are not. And that's why we have to give props to people like David Horowitz, my boss at the David Horwitz Freedom Center, because David comes from the left, he understands how they fight, and he's written a book called Take No Prisoners. And he shows how the left thinks and how conservatives need to fight back inside the culture war. Well,
0: we got to go out and get the book. How, Jiggy? Oh, I'll tell you, this this book is uh, absolutely incredible. What, what are you uh, going to do for a... Uh, follow-up, or uh, what's next for you as an author?
1: <laughs> well, guys, let me take a breath for now. You know, I've got a couple ideas, obviously, but this was uh, this just took the life out of me. It was something that was rolling around in my head for years, and I finally put it all together. As you well know, it uh, takes a lot of life out of us when we try to create and put a project together. And um, I'm just glad I got this out. I'm glad I got the message out. I'm not so sure about any particular... You know, of course, I'm always thinking about some books. But more than anything, I just want to do my bit in fighting for the United States and fighting for the West and for the Judeo-Christian tradition. we got to remember something. You know, when Jesus said, When they hate you, remember they hated me first. We have to remember. We are not here to be popular. And we have to remember that evil exists whether we win or lose the most important thing is to fight for what is right and to fight for what is good we got to be on the right side and even if that means saying the right thing in a certain time and place that's that that's a step right there but you know overall uh my heart is just very intertwined with the, my love of this country and everything it represents and uh I'm very grateful that Donald Trump came into power because he really represents something beautiful. Because, guys, I think you know, they had it sealed. If Hillary would have come in, they had the deal sealed. It, was, it, was, it would have just been a disaster for this country and for freedom. So let's back up our president, and uh, let's just pray every day and do what we can.
0: Well, uh, before we let you go, my friend, how do we uh, get a hold of you online and uh, pick up the book, everything?
1: Well, okay, Yet Jihadist Psychopath, that's the new book. You can go to Amazon.com. Make sure you're reading Front Page Magazine every day. I'm the editor of that magazine, and it's an honor to, you know, to work for uh, David Horowitz's website there. And, of course, just come and find me at jamieglazoff.com and you can watch our TV show. You can get my book and engage in many of the other things that are going on.
0: Fantastic. Well, Don, before we let you go, how do we get hold of you and get all your uh, material and everything? Well, the National
2: Robotics Education Foundation. We we enter our uh, now eighth year, and this is going to be the year we we do things. um, uh, Recalculating.biz and uh, DonMazzella.com. Those are the three places. We're glad to be back here in the new year and love what's going on. Yes. We, uh, what a great guest. Well, I'll tell good.
0: you, this: the, 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 you were definitely something, my friend. Thank you for being with us today, Jamie.
1: I'm very grateful to you. Thank you very much.
0: Definitely. Well, Don, we will see you next week. And, Jamie, we will uh, see you down the road, my friend. Thanks for being with us today. Okay, God bless. I really appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. There they go. Don Mazzella and Jimmy Glazoff.
1: Say, man, y'all it and
0: there we life. go. So, you know, we'll we'll see, see you next time.
2: Lives, you know? I ain't going back and forth with these niggas.
1: Crazy, what you want to do? I'm rolling with y'all. Okay, well, what we're going to do is we're going to get the town, we're going to get it in, right. and we going to do what we want. Feel right. And most importantly, we got to smile, bitch! Smile, bitch! Come on!
2: We gon' start this thing alright. You ball in the motherfucking house. Come on, come on.